0: Hey everyone, Yasmin here. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're taking the opportunity to highlight our top five most popular episodes from 2021. If you are an avid listener of the podcast, chances are you may have missed one of these game-changing interviews. I hope you enjoy today's rebroadcast, and I'm wishing you and your loved ones happy holidays and a soon-to-be new year. Before we go into today's episode, I wanted to share a bit more about my company, Bia. Prior to starting this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth, and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress came really debilitating periods from bloating, acne, cramps, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month, and that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who recommended I try something called seed cycling, and let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and and estrogen. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed significant shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kinda hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds, freshly ground in the right amount, and it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today, using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amount with the right support. And it's called BIA and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule. It's been a complete game changer for me and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, check out our free guide with our top tips to tackling hormonal imbalances at biowellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness, B-E-E-Y-A wellness.com slash free. We also included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're gonna love seat cycling just as much as I do. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: Fear of failure isn't the word, it's fear of embarrassment. I think a lot of times, a lot of us don't want to make the misstep or make a mistake because we're worried that people will think less of us. Our employees will think less of us, our parents, our family, our friends. Oh my gosh, that didn't work. Maybe they're not as smart as we thought they were. Nobody's actually thinking that except us.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I'm excited to share that we're mixing things up in a big way today. After a year of interviewing the top women in business and entrepreneurship, we're officially inviting our first male guest on the Behind Her Empire podcast. Now, before I tell you who, let me tell you why. This guest has been one of the biggest champions out there when it comes to small business entrepreneurs and specifically women entrepreneurs. He's actually gone on record saying, quote, I enjoy doing business with both men and women, but if you ask me to choose and you gave me a business and you gave me two candidates, a man or a woman, and they're equally as smart, I'm telling you right now, I'm picking the woman, end quote. And this isn't just talk. Today's guest has created the Lemonade Foundation and seeded it with $50 million of him and his wife's own capital to focus on backing talented entrepreneurs, specifically women and minorities who haven't had equal access to resources and guidance in their career. So I hope you can understand why when the opportunity presented itself to have this guest on, I leaped at the chance. I'd like to introduce none other than Marcus Lemonis to the Behind Her Empire community. Marcus is known for helping struggling businesses get back on their feet through investing his own money on the hit TV show, The Profit. Despite being a household name and TV personality, Marcus's influence is far beyond television. He is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in America, serving as chairman and CEO of the multi-billion dollar company, Camping World. A few themes that we'll be talking about in today's wide-ranging interview are how to work through fear of failure and embarrassment, how to recover from and prevent burnout, and the importance of embracing your strengths and your flaws to truly feel comfortable in your own skin. Without further ado, let's jump right into today's conversation with Marcus Limonis. Welcome to the show, Marcus. We've never had a guy on the podcast, and I've told a lot of my friends and family, one exception I would do would be for you. So it is a true honor. So thank you. What? (laughs) I'm the first guy ever on? The podcast I have is all about self-made women entrepreneurs. No, I know
1: what it is. I was just teasing (laughs) you. But I do want to say this, because I know how successful your podcast has been. I want to make sure that I'm the first and the
0: last okay for you i i will promise that so no don't
1: promise it because there may (laughs) be people that are worthwhile i appreciate you having me on and you know, one of the things that I want to make sure we do today is that I want you to feel comfortable to talk about anything. There's nothing that's off limits. And I would say that you'll be surprised to know that I'll have some questions for you as well, which I think your listeners right. will like.
0: Yes. Well, well, let's do it. I'm excited. I'm excited. And I appreciate you always just being open and vulnerable, which is yeah. just the mission of the podcast. So we'll jump into it. So, I've heard you in another interview say, you know, the fear of failure and the embarrassment that comes with it sometimes keeps you up at night. I think a lot of people can resonate with that, especially entrepreneurs. So, my question for you is how do you not let those types of thoughts hold you back and really stop you from taking action?
1: Well, I'm going to start by telling you that fear of failure isn't the word, it's fear of embarrassment. You know, failure is sort of the effect, right? but the effect lingers and it turns into embarrassment. I think a lot of times, a lot of us don't want to make the misstep or make a mistake because we're worried that people will think less of us. Our employees will think less of us, our parents, our family, our friends. Oh my gosh, that didn't work. Maybe they're not as smart as we thought they were. Nobody's actually thinking that except us, but I think it does hold me back. I think the fear of embarrassment actually does hold me back. And You know, this idea that it doesn't hold me back would almost imply that I don't have any fear, right? And I go into each situation with this understanding that there's a lot of risk and that embarrassment is one of my multiple choice answers. I think it really, over the last four or five years, I began to become very comfortable with this idea of embarrassment. And I'm going to keep using the word embarrassment instead of fear of failure. I started to realize that my acknowledgement and my comfortableness with being embarrassed would liberate other people. And it would give them this idea that success is a low probability, not a high probability, and that embarrassment is a high probability. And that if you can get your mind around those odds and get comfortable with it, then you're fine. There are days where I find it to be a intense water regulator where it shuts me down and it paralyzes me. And I do struggle with a little bit of anxiety and depression, clinical depression, and I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. And that fear of embarrassment mixed with a bowl of anxiety with some extra spice of depression is not a great recipe. And sometimes I have to unplug from society for a day or two to self-medicate my way out of it. And there is no magic bullet, but here's what usually gets me through it. This idea that I am embarrassed is so nonsensical because I've been given an opportunity and a lot of blessings to do certain things and try certain things. And I can afford to make a mistake financially and I can afford to make a mistake emotionally because ultimately I'll be fine in both cases. And I think that there's a lot of people that have that fear of failure and have that fear of embarrassment, but are not blessed with the ability to make a mistake, that that mistake could be death-defying to them. It could be catastrophic. So I try to focus a little bit more on what the person that has that fear has to deal with if the mistake is catastrophic. How do we measure risk in a way that feels, I hate to use the word again, but measured and smart and with temperance? And so I liken taking chances in business to playing scratch-off lottery tickets. The odds of getting a lottery ticket with even a $2 win are low. And your ability to afford to buy lotto tickets will determine what you're going to do. And I, I remember as a small kid going into the 7-Eleven by my house at 185 pounds and you know 5 feet 6, which means I was a roly-poly on my bike to buy as much candy as I possibly could. And I would see people that were either in bad financial shape or didn't necessarily have a place to call home buying these lottery tickets. And I would think to myself, how could a person that doesn't have money to eat take a chance on buying a lotto ticket? Fast forward to being a young adult. How does a person that doesn't have the ability to lose money take a chance on buying a business or investing or starting something? The answer used to be that they shouldn't and they don't have the ability. And as I got older and I learned more about how people work and how I work and how my mind works, I realized that they don't have a choice, that it's the only possibility of liberation that they have, the freedom to be independent, the freedom to have accomplishment, the freedom to rid themselves of a controlling relationship or a controlling marriage or a controlling whatever it may be, the freedom to prove to themselves they can achieve something because they want to show something to their kids or they want to show something to their parents who thought they would be nothing. I think at the end of the day, none of us can afford to be embarrassed, but also all of us should have the desire to take the chance and the risk to be embarrassed. Because remember, high probability of embarrassment, low probability of success. I didn't say zero probability of success. And that success will happen at some point You just have to be able to have a stomach. And if you have an appetite for material things and you have an appetite to succeed, but not a lot of resources, you're going to have to pick one of them. You can't pick both. Doesn't happen. So I struggle with it. And I think you do. And so does all of your listeners. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay. It's okay that you cry in your room about the embarrassment that you feel around your peers or your kids or your parents. It's okay. We all do it.
0: I appreciate you just being so vulnerable about that because I'm sure people look at you with the success and you being a public figure, they might not assume you get embarrassed, but I just, it's part of life and it's something we all deal with and we all have different tools to kind of work through it for us. And, you know, one thing you preach a lot about is you really want to give people the feeling of being comfortable in their own skin, right? That is something your parents and your family taught you really well. I'd love to hear, you know, are there certain tools or or tactics that helped you become comfortable with your own skin? Because this is something I'm working through a lot and I've talked a lot about this podcast.
1: Ready for this one?
0: I can't wait. Taking mental notes.
1: Clothes. My clothes give me permission. I've always used clothes as a tool and we can't see it because we're on a podcast. But if all of your listeners could see my closets, they would laugh. My closets are big. And they're organized, and they're organized by the length of my sleeve and the color and the brand. And I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. I'm saying this because I'm going to get to a point. I have over 600 pairs of shoes. I've heard. Okay. I'd
0: love to see that.
1: (laughs) And I do all of that because they're my costumes of freedom. I don't wear a suit and tie anymore. I think I own like two suits and three shirts. I used to own 30 suits and 100 shirts. I wear jeans. I wear hoodies. I wear Louboutin sneakers. I wear bright neon pants. I do everything I can to be as uncomfortable in clothes as I possibly can. And I do it for one reason. People see me as a business person. They see me as a, a wealthy person, which I hate. And they see me as an odd person. And the combination of those three has been my secret. And what I try to tell people is That The reason that I've been successful is because I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I'm comfortable using my costume as my license to be myself. I'm comfortable wearing fun glasses, crazy sneakers, and doing those things. And again, it's a prop. It's nothing more than a prop for me. And if I'm going to an environment where I think people are going to be uber conservative, I go the other way. If I'm going to a place where people are going to be super outlandish, I go the other way. And my most memorable moment was being RuPaul's birthday gift.
0: Oh, amazing. (laughs) Somebody gave
1: RuPaul me, which is a really weird thing. Somebody gave them me to him as a birthday gift. And I ended up on an episode of Drag Race. And it was the most uncomfortable thing for me because I had never been in that environment. And I remember thinking to myself, how do I make everybody else uncomfortable when I'm normally the person wearing crazy clothes? How do I go here where crazy is at the highest level in terms of liberation? How do I do that? And I went dressed in a suit and a shirt and I couldn't have been more uncomfortable But I wanted to create this juxtaposition of difference. And I think ultimately, as we think about having freedom to take chances, having the vulnerability to to do something we don't want to do, I think it's important that you simplify and exaggerate what's unique about you and put it on display for everybody else. And you do it with pride and you do it with joy and you do it with a little bit of moxie so that people know you're comfortable, even if you're not.
0: I love that. And Marcus, have you always been that way, even as a kid?
1: I always wanted to be that way, but I never felt like I had the freedom to be that way. And I realized that I was creating a facade and creating a window dressing to appeal to a character that everybody else thought I should be. As a business person, you should wear a suit. As a business person, you should say these things. As a business person, you should act this way. As a wealthy person, you should live in this neighborhood and drive this kind of car. And I realized that my ultimate audience were people that I wanted to learn and feel comfortable and and have permission from me. I felt like if I did the opposite of what everybody expected, that would work.
0: We talked about this before the interview, but you just being who you are and conducting business in another way is impacting so many people, including my journey, right? Because people think success needs to look a certain way, you need to act in a certain way, you need to be tough. Or that it needs to be economic in nature.
1: This idea, and I know people usually scoff at me when I say this, it's easy for you to say you have money. I didn't always have money. When I got out of college, I made $24,000 a year. I thought I was the richest guy in my neighborhood. If I lost everything today, I would be totally fine. People don't think that's true. I, I know it's true. If you, you spent a day with me, you'd be like, oh, it doesn't really matter. But I do think it's important for people not to make money the ultimate benchmark of success. And that begs the question, what is the ultimate benchmark of success? There isn't an answer. It's really, what, is it, what are you trying to achieve? If the ultimate goal of success is to be an amazing role model for your children, that has a certain look to it. If your ultimate goal of success is to make your parents proud, that has a certain look of it. If your ultimate goal of success is to be the first black woman to be the president of an organization in your community, that is a goal of success. If your ultimate goal of success is to provide loans to women who otherwise couldn't do it or provide grants, that's your definition. And I think it's really important that we're honest with ourselves about what our true motivation is, because that's really what our definition is.
0: Absolutely. And I've talked about this a lot, but when you have a bigger why and a bigger mission, the hardships of entrepreneurship is a little bit easier. I think you, it's really your superpower going through those tough times when you have a bigger why and a bigger mission.
1: I was telling somebody the other day, they asked me, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, that's a question we always get asked when we're kids. Like, what do you want to be when we grow up? And we all give silly answers. Like, I want to be a doctor. I'm going to be a pilot. I want to be a professional, whatever it may be. And I never used to give people this answer until I became an adult. Actually, until recently. And I always wanted to be a superhero. I always wanted to be a superhero that allowed me to control not only my destiny, but the destiny of others. And that superpower hero was, you know, artificial in nature. It was fake. It didn't really provide much substance, but it did convince me that I can do something different for sure.
0: That's beautiful to hear. And I actually want to go back to one thing you mentioned when we were talking about embarrassment and feel of failure. You mentioned, you know, a lot of, or some people get into business to prove something. You know, I'm curious, what are you trying to prove? And can you tell us how your grandfather really helped shape your own drive?
1: Oh boy. (laughs) What am I trying to prove? My motivation's always been my mother. My mother was a big woman. She was about six foot one, 270, maybe more pounds. She was a size 18 or 20. She's a big one, big presence. Not controlling, but yeah, she was a strong presence. You know, we all have that mother that controlled things. My grandfather and the rest of my family really juxtaposed my mother's perspective on life. My mother always felt like and she was right, and she's still right today, that women rule the world. And people used to argue with her, and quite frankly, she would lose that argument because society actually fed into it. White men were given more opportunities than anybody in America. Women were not, and women of color were not times 100 or whatever the multiplier was. I've had a lot of fun lately living out my mother's mission And that is creating platforms and creating pathways that allow women and women of color and people of color to be able to access things and be put on platforms, to be given opportunities that uh, have been taken away from them or not made available to them. And I'm not a woman and I'm not a person of color. So I have absolutely no idea what it feels like zero, zilch, nada. I can't relate. I'm not a parent. I'm not a mom. I'm not any of those things. But I did have a mom and my mom raised me very differently. The reason I love clothes is because my mom always exposed me to clothes. The reason I love fashion and art and the reason I'm so vulnerable is because my mother always formed and forced me to be very comfortable with who I was. Anytime I would try to be macho, she would take it away. Anytime I would try to be one way, she would take it away. She goes, just be yourself. And I think part of the reasons why I tend to gravitate towards doing business with women is largely because of my comfort level with my mother, right? And I know that sounds super bizarre to some, but my mission today is to provide a platform and a cadence and resources for women doesn't mean that I won't help men. If there is any man listening, it doesn't mean that I'm a man hater. It just means that because I'm blessed with some resources, I can pick
0: and choose. That's really special. And I know your mom, you've talked, you know, people ask you all the time who your role model was and you talk a lot about your mom. So she seems incredible.
1: I also think that women are
0: better business people. That was my next question, because you said, I think a few years ago in an interview that most of your businesses are led by women. So you see so many entrepreneurs, so many leaders. I'd love for you to expand on that because my dad actually says that as well.
1: I find that women, and I know guys hate this, but I just find that women are better multitaskers, particularly if they have children, they're managing their household they're managing the lives of their children, they're managing their work or their business or their career. I don't think men multitask to the same degree. There are exceptions, there's lots of single dads and there's amazing men that do amazing things. This is not what this is about. But I do think that women are are better multitaskers. I think women are better listeners. I think they try to get to the core of the matter and that's the maternal instinct that kicks in where they see a troubled youth or a troubled child and they tend to do better intake. I also think that women have, generally speaking, don't make decisions with their ego. And I think men do. I think men make decisions with their ego. They want to win. They want to have the biggest this. They they want their business to be number two and not number three. And they want to, you know, have the best seats at the ball game. And they want to drive the fastest car and have the biggest house. And I don't know where that caveman syndrome comes from. But women don't possess that. I think they just make better business people because they also manage with a level of empathy and that's what's missing in business today
0: amen and if there's any women listening today to get into business listen to what marcus just said do it because you can absolutely be successful
1: but i don't want any women that are listening yourself and the others included to feel like they need to act a certain way because of how they may be perceived there's a lot of women that i work with that say it's difficult for me to be strong people will think i'm a bitch. It's difficult for me to be strong. People will think I'm controlling, but if a man acts that way, he's applauded for it. If a woman acts that way, she's criticized for it. Who cares what people write about, what they think, what they say. What you have to care about is what you think and what impression you're leaving on the community. If you can be effective and be acute with your message and you can be precise with your approach, and you can be firm and tough. And if there's a moment where you need to flex, then you flex, but you don't need to flex for flex sake.
0: One thing you've mentioned is something I deal with and a lot of people deal with is when you have to be stern and strong, you're worried you're going to come off as a Or if you're younger than the rest of the people in the room, how is that going to come off? And it's taken years. And it's something I'm still working on in terms of being comfortable in your own skin and not thinking about what they think of you. I think that's a superpower in just being successful, right? Is not overthinking what others think of you.
1: There's an overbalance though. Some of the women that I work with overcorrect. They find themselves trying not to be that person. And then they can't find the middle. They're either so formal that their dynamic personalities get hidden, or they're so playful that their professionalism doesn't get exposed. And I think the best way to think about it is just to be yourself. And if people can't accept who you are, so be it. I interviewed a woman the other day in Atlanta, Pinky Cole. She owns a business in Atlanta called Slutty Vegan.
0: Oh yeah, I heard she's amazing, by the way. Yeah, I haven't met her, but... Yeah, she just said, look, I'm slutty yeah.
1: and this is my thing and, and I'm comfortable with my sexuality. I'm comfortable with who I am and I want to give other women the freedom to do it. Now, she can pull it off. Her personality allows it, but I want women to be themselves, their best selves.
0: Yes, agreed. You know, one thing I also want to talk about, just shifting gears into more tactical aspects of business, You've mentioned that the core principles of running a small coffee shop is really the same as running a billion dollar business. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what you mean by that? I think ultimately
1: businesses are run by people. They're not run by computers and systems. Process is an important part of it, but they're ultimately run by people. And whether you're opening up your coffee shop at eight in the morning and there are products you need to buy from your vendors and staff you need to train and people that don't call, that don't come in on time, or customers you have to take care of. The basic principles of interacting with people, delivering a product or service, and the methodology in which you're going to do those things are no different whether you're running Dell computers or Susie's Coffee Shop. The numbers may have more commas in them, but it really doesn't change the principles. And in fact, the larger the business, the greater the chances of it losing that extra touch. But as I walk into a coffee shop or I walk into a small business or a, let's just use a chain of women's clothing boutiques, okay? And they're competing with Neiman Marcus. And Neiman Marcus is a $5 billion juggernaut with you know buying power and financial capital. And you're trying to compete with them. And you're saying to yourself, I'll never be able to compete. They go on sale quicker than I do, their vendors give them more than I do. And all they're doing is telling me all the reasons why they're not gonna be able to compete. And what I want people to do is to flip the script and say, what is my competitive advantage as a not big business, as a not national chain? Well, here are a couple of things. I'm not bureaucratic, so I can turn on a dime. I'm not the Titanic, I'm a little raft in a pool. I have the ability to interact with my customers more romantically. I can romanticize my business. I have the ability to have a more, I don't want to call it an intimate relationship, but a one-on-one relationship with that customer where they can know who I am and I can know who they are. And the level of service that I can provide is more customized. The level of product that I can, or service that I can give them is more specialized. And so those are competitive advantages that, quite frankly, the consumer wants us to have. The consumer doesn't care about the size of your HR department or uh, how big or small your rent is or how much inventory you have in your store. What they care about is that their interaction with you feel respectful, credible, and actionable. And if they come in and they have a good experience and they feel catered to and they enjoy it, then you have a competitive advantage against that big brand. But the principles of interacting with those people are similar. Be kind, be respectful, follow through, do what you say you're going to do, call them back. I don't know what the differences are. So I like working with the smaller local regional business more because they can affect the outcome quicker.
0: Absolutely. And I think one thing you do really well following you over the years is you're able to zoom in and out as an operator. So you can think like an owner and then you can quickly switch and think like a consumer. And you've said that's really helped you invest in so many different industries. So as entrepreneurs, sometimes we get stuck in the weeds and it's hard for us to put that consumer hat on. Do you have any advice for us to build that superpower and muscle?
1: Yeah. I go into every business as a consumer, including the ones that I own. And unfortunately, many times I'm terribly disappointed And my own business and the user experience and the customer experience and the flaws in our business. And the holes in our process, and the deficiencies in things that we do. I think if you go in as a consumer, the product or service of your own business, and you're truly objective, not making excuses along the way, oh, well, that would have been better, but you know the guy didn't call me back, so my blah, blah, blah didn't work, or we would have done that better. But if you really go in and you self-critique and you self-assess without any predisposition, with the comfort to be embarrassed. Remember, we started that in the beginning. You'll be able to do it to your business or anybody else's business infinitely better than I do. I don't go into a business with some superpower. I go into a business thinking to myself, what's the common sense and the consumer experience that I would wanna have going into this flower shop in Pasadena, California, and what are the things that would turn me on as a consumer and what are the things that would turn me off? That's it. And once I go through that process, whether I invest in that business or not, is through that lens, not through the lens of what's my return on capital and is it 22% or 19%. I really try to go in and say, do they have me as a customer, yes or no? And if they have me as a customer, then why wouldn't they have me as an investor? And that's the model that I use.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important for all of us to kind of think about Another question that I have for you: entrepreneurship is so hyped up right now and so glamorized. Is there anyone that you think shouldn't be an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, somebody that's doing it for the wrong reasons. If they're doing it for the glamour or the fame or only the money, and I say that only the money, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. I also think there's people that want to be entrepreneurs but don't want to put the work in. And I just finished an episode of the profit with somebody that wanted to skip all the steps that were in between. And they were very disappointed when I gave them a $60,000 offer instead of a million dollar offer because they didn't understand why I didn't want to go big fast. I think entrepreneurs who think that the key to success is things that start with the word million, that's a problem. I think if you don't have the education or the training, you shouldn't open a business until you get it your response to me is where the hell do I get it? There are plenty of free resources out there to educate yourself. I launched a learning center. There are podcasts like yours that people can listen to. There are people and businesses that you can go into and study. And you shouldn't open a business without a plan. You shouldn't open the business without the money to lose and affordability to lose it. And you shouldn't go into open up a business if you don't have some sort of skilled training. It's like saying, should I go be an astronaut without knowing how to Do something. The answer is no. You shouldn't because the risk of you getting killed is significant.
0: Exactly. No, I'm glad you're talking about that because I think everybody wants to jump into the world of entrepreneurship and they think it's like you can get rich quickly. You see all these things on social media, and it just is one of my biggest pet peeves because entrepreneurship is such a long-term game. And you know, if you want to create like real, sustainable success, I feel like that will not happen overnight at all.
1: I used to say to people, though, I don't love the word entrepreneur. I don't know what it means. And it used to mean for me, unemployed. I would meet people and they'd be like, I'm an entrepreneur. What does that mean? Are you working? Well, I'm in between things. Okay, no problem. So you're you're transitioning. I'd rather just be a business owner. I'm a business owner. That's what I do. I own a business. I'm a standalone business owner. I don't want to put a label on it. I don't need to be a woman business owner. I don't need to be anything. I just need to be, I'm a business owner. That's who I am. And I have more challenges than others, because I'm a woman, because I'm a person of color, because I can't get a bank loan, because I don't have the education. So I have to work that much harder, but I'm still a business owner. I wear the same hat you do.
0: Yes. No, I, I love that. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, as human beings, so much of how we learn is falling on our face and getting back up. And I feel like in entrepreneurship, a version of that is burnout. So I'm curious. When was the last time you faced burnout? And was there a lesson that you personally got out of it?
1: I face it every day. I do. And I struggle with it. I haven't really figured out how to fix it. I'm the last person that should be giving advice about burnout. When business owners get advice about work-life balance, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to, you know, download this app. It's like we hear it but is it real? Is that even possible when I'm trying to figure out how to make payroll? Is it really real when I'm waiting for my order to come in for overseas of these things that I sell online and I have no revenue coming in and I don't have any product? Is it real when I get rejected for a bank loan? Like you're asking me to have work-life balance and I can't figure out how I'm going to feed my family. I don't even know what that means. And so I'm a big believer that if you choose to own a business, work-life balance is one of those things that won't be as possible as you'd like it to be. And if you're really honest with yourself, truly honest with yourself, I'm not a real believer that if you're a business owner, you really even want it.
0: Mm, Yes,
1: I'm not sure you want it. It's like saying, I don't want to go on the road every day and I don't want to be on tour every day, but I sure love singing in front of 60,000 people. Right. If you're, a, if you're Lady Gaga, you may not want to do that, but that's just what it is. And you do it and you accept what it is. Work-life balance and being a business owner, I don't think, can coexist in a paragraph. And there's exceptions. I know there's people saying, I do it, I do it. There's times that you don't.
0: I selfishly ask that question because it's something, you know, being new in the entrepreneurial space two years in, I feel like I'm always pushing myself and dealing with burnout. But one thing that you mentioned, I think it was an interview maybe this year or last year, is that your focus on just health, eating better, sleeping better. Do you think that has helped you kind of show up? There you go. The green, wow, that's a massive green juice for people who aren't looking in the video right now. But I'd love to hear your perspective on health because that's something I'm thinking a lot about of just how I show up just more productive as a leader and person?
1: Well, let's start with mental health, which is a big problem for all of us, whether we want to admit it or not. It's, I think, just as devastating as other illnesses. Mental health is something that we struggle with. I think a lot of people get into business because they want freedom and they want the ability to have their own mental health. I think how we look at it, whether that's depression or anxiety is very real. And for me, business has been a coping mechanism. I think that in order to have physical health, you have to have mental health and there isn't a one size fits all program. Over the years, we've seen every kind of diet that's out there and we've seen every kind of self health book that's out there. Mental health and physical health are curated by you for you. You know what your body needs physically and you know what your mind and your spirit needs mentally and spiritually. I do think that an important pillar in that is some sort of faith. By the way, I'm not talking about religion because people usually have a reaction to that. Whoa, this is getting like to be religious. No, you can have faith in your own religion. You can have faith in whatever God you choose to believe in, but you have to have faith in yourself. And for me, faith in yourself is the first step in mental health because the doubting, the fear of embarrassment, the anxiety, the depression, and I hate to be that dark while we're doing this, but that is the demon against faith in yourself. If you have faith in yourself, you have a certain level of mental health. And we all have days where we're super confident. We wake up in the morning. We're like, we could do anything. We feel invincible. We're going to go out and zap all the bad people. And there are other days where we want to crawl up in a ball and run away from everybody and hide. I think if anybody doesn't admit publicly or privately that they have those days, they're lying to all of us. So I think you got to start with that. A balance for that, for me, has been physical health. And that can mean something different for other people, a walk in the park, a bike ride, something that allows us to clear our minds and nurture our body in a way that allows us to be stronger. I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I wish I did a better job executing it. I don't preach about it because I'm not a doctor and I'm not you know, a, per- a perfect person in that regard. But I do know that when I, my mental health is off, or my physical health is off, my performance in business is off by 10. I mean, I can't fake it till I make it. I do find that like, if I'm doing something, like I'm having a a dinner party at my house, I can fake it the whole night. I can get through it. But if I'm doing business, I can't. And I don't think anybody else can either.
0: Exactly. I've been feeling that. So it's definitely helpful to just hear your perspective on that. And I want to be mindful of our time together. So I have a few last questions that I want to ask you. And we've talked a little bit about this throughout the interview, but you know, there's somebody out there who's listening to this interview who feels like they're not confident enough, not smart enough, not good enough, and they're just waiting for that right opportunity to feel enough. What would you say to that person that's listening in today on this podcast?
1: Well, first of all, that person sounds like me because I feel that way a lot. And it's, it's a hard thing to say to people. I think second of all, there is no right opportunity to feel that way. I'm a big believer in lists, pen and paper make a list, journal, write it down. And I'm a big believer that when I get up in the morning and I go to bed at night, I should be making a list of things that I want to do the next day. Sometimes it's something as simple as clean out my closet because it's a bit of a cleansing thing for me. Or sometimes it's go through my emails and delete them. Or sometimes it's clean up a relationship with somebody that I've done wrong by or I haven't put the effort into it. I think that's really important because if you're not having confidence in yourself, it's because you're not confident about the way you're interacting with other people and what you're getting back. You're not comfortable with the amount of love or uh, affirmation that you're getting back from them. Volunteering for me is the opportunity that will give you the confidence you need to be better. Going and dealing with people that are less, that have less than we do, that have been dealt a deck of cards that we wouldn't wish on anybody brings things into perspective. And I think what helps us get through things is perspective. I meet a lot of working moms that are dealing with kids with autism or Down syndrome, or they had to leave their husbands because there was some physical problem or some physical or mental abuse or something like that. We all have our own story. And however bad our story is, and whatever dark place that takes us to from a confidence standpoint, from a willingness to just push through standpoint, there's always somebody worse. And so if you're having that day and you're waiting for the opportunity to get the call of a lifetime, you're waiting to get the investment of a lifetime, you may or may not get that call. But what you will get is the opportunity to see how much better you have it than other people. And when you can spread that joy over other people, just even just talking to them or listening to them, I think that will unlock a lot for yourself.
0: That's beautiful. And it's something you do so well. I know you just launched your podcast. Congratulations. And I always get teary eyed with the impact you're making and the people you bring on and all of your content. So you do a really beautiful job with that. So thank you. You know, one question we love to ask all of our guests on closing is wealth means so much more than money. And everybody has their own definition of wealth at this stage in your life. What does wealth mean to you?
1: The most important thing for me in wealth is seeing other people that I work with, either they work with me at Camping World or I invest with them in the business, seeing them gain multiple types of wealth. They grow as individuals, and I like to see them grow financially. And I talk a lot about building long-term wealth for people. It gives them the freedom to make decisions. It gives them the freedom to be independent. It gives them the freedom to make their own choices. Wealth for me is your ability when you have enough wealth you have the ability to promote other people and make their success and their wealth gaining and their spotlight more important than your own that's how you know what wealth is
0: ah oh, that's so beautiful and something i definitely strive for so marcus thank you for joining us today i could probably talk to you for a few more hours but i really appreciate you taking the time to join us
1: i have two questions for you i'm not letting you off the hook
0: all right <laughs>
1: You're going to a meeting to receive a $2 million investment in your business. Okay. What are you wearing?
0: Old Yasmin or new Yasmin? (laughs) Both. Old Yasmin. I would try to be more buttoned up and conservative and not truly who I am. And I would wear a suit. Who I am today, I'm becoming more comfortable in my own skin. So I would probably wear a bright blazer with some fitted jeans heels. Before I never used to wear heels. I try not to stand out as a woman, especially a woman in business, but I think I really want to step into that and just be who I am because my business is an extension of me. So I want to show up as myself.
1: Favorite shoe brand.
0: Believe it or not, Marcus, I am not into brand names. You know, one thing I'm actually looking for is comfortable shoes. So I wear heels all the time and I'm looking for a good brand. So if anybody knows a comfortable shoe brand, please let me know. Cause I'm, I will be all about it.
1: Last question for you, because I love asking questions. What's one thing that you've always wanted to do that you have not done yet?
0: I get goosebumps hearing that. So for me, a lot of my motivation in building my business is lifting other people with me. So a small function of that is through the podcast, but I am always wanting to make a bigger impact for other women in business, because I feel like I'm so fortunate that I get to do it in my life. So I'm always looking for ways to make a bigger impact on a bigger scale. I'm just getting started.
1: You're barely getting started. You're (laughs) gonna have a huge career. I know you deal with women entrepreneurs all the time. If there's any that you would like me to feature on the podcast 100%. Yes. The one thing that's gonna surprise people is I'm doing grants and investments on them as well. I had a young lady on actually this coming week. young entrepreneur. I think she's 12 years old. Her name is Gabby. And she got an investment from Gail King and I, and she lost her brain. And so if you have any women that need that opportunity to be put on the pedestal, you and I should co-host that together and we'll do something for them.
0: Oh, we should absolutely do that, Marcus. I have a list in my head. That would be remarkable. That would be remarkable. Thank you. I so appreciate it.
1: Thank you for answering the questions as well.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, such a joy, Marcus. We'll definitely be in touch and make that happen for sure. Perfect. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny, and it's never too late to start your own empire.